Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello and Merry Bloody Christmas. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, our last Monday show for 2020, exactly what has gone down between the slum flower and Florence Given. Cody Simpson randomly pops up in Australian Olympic trials, a definitive ranking of all of the worst and best Christmas songs of all time, and a wrap on the year that was. What has 2020 taught us about ourselves, the world, and maybe a bit of Taylor Swift too? (laughs) Mish, I will ask about your week in one moment, but I think the first thing we want to acknowledge today is I have no doubt the last few days have been pretty hard for people, particularly of New South Wales, Mm. given what has been going on. So I think we just wanted to say that if anyone listening to this has been very directly affected by, you know, a new COVID outbreak just before Christmas, we are thinking of you and we really hope this episode can be a bit of a distraction. Absolutely. God it is bad timing and we are yeah. thinking of all of you. No one would wish this upon anyone at Christmas time. Hopefully you all get to spend Christmas Day with your families, but we'll wait and see. We will wait and see. But first, Michelle, how was your week? My week was an interesting one. It wasn't the best because I spent the majority of it sick in bed. And now is not a good time of year to get sick. Like now is when everyone is racing towards the finish line of December holidays, if you're lucky enough to take December holidays. So we're racing to the finish line and silly old me decided to contract a cold. It is bad timing because usually people fall apart after December, not in the Mm, thick of December. Yes. It meant that I watched possibly, I'm trying to think how many, probably like... 50 episodes of Geordie Shaw. How long do they go for? Not very long. Some of them are only like half an hour. But Geordie Shaw, I kind of feel a little bit of embarrassment. Like I know we are the podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. But I feel like Geordie Shaw is a step, like maybe a kilometre beyond The Bachelors and The Love Islands. Geordie Shaw is the trashiest of all trash television. I've not watched an episode. I actually don't know anything about it. Zara, people have like sex on television, Charlotte wheeze the bed almost <gasps> in every episode. There's an episode where someone shits themselves. Like what it the is, fuck? And this is all part of the storyline. It's part of like it's full-blown party house where it is absolutely wild. Like when I'm saying trash television, nothing scratches the surface of Geordie Shaw and I hate to admit it and I still feel a little bit of shame about this but I am fanatical about that show. Is this your recommendation? It is my recommendation. I My recommendation, I think, to the listeners is just embrace it. If you are like me and when you're feeling sick or when you're having a shitty day, you turn on the trash of all trash and really thoroughly enjoy it, welcome to my club. Mitch and I are disgusting. We watched episode after episode after episode and we loved every second. You know what it is? It makes you feel incredible about your own life. Oh, that's probably exactly what you need then. <laughs> Anyway, how was your week? Week wasn't bad. My mum called me during the week and was like, oh, I um, went into another bookshop this week. And I was like, what do you mean another bookshop? She's like, well, I've been doing this thing. I've been going into bookshops and going to the lovely person at the counter and saying, excuse me, do you stock the space between? No. And inevitably they say yes. And they she makes them go and get it, <gasps> bring it to her. And then they go to put it through the register. And she goes, oh no, I'm actually not buying it. <laughs> And then they go, pardon. And she says, oh, my God, my daughter and her friend actually wrote that book. And then she just walks out of the shop. And she thinks it's like creating hype or something. And I was like, mum, the minute you admit that you're the mum, it's anti-hype. If you didn't say anything, 
that you're the parent, then it would be high. Imagine if we sent Trish and Vicky into bookstores to sign them on our behalfs. Be like, no one wants our signature. They want Trish and Vicky's. Well, I remember when she went to my local bookshop like two years ago when we just signed a contract and I was writing a book and she went to the local bookshop and told them. <laughs> yes. And I was like, how many people would do that? Like walk into a bookshop being like, I'm writing a book. I was like, you can't just be doing that. And how many bookshop owners like, I could not give less of a fuck that I your think- kid wrote a book. There are literally 100,000 books in this store. Exactly. They absolutely don't give a fuck. But she always says to me, oh, they were very excited to meet me. <laughs> anyway, my recommendation this week is a couple of weeks ago, Zoe Foster Blake put on her stories that she shared all of the playlists that she's created throughout the year on Spotify. She loves a playlist, Zoe Foster Blake, and I love her for it because it's very helpful. Oh my God, completely. And I've been listening to them over the last couple of weeks. And because I feel like I've consistently listened to them, I can therefore recommend them rather than it being like a one hit wonder. Mm-hmm. And may I come in here and recommend Zoe Foster Blake's dinner playlist? Very funky, Ooh. very groovy, makes you seem far cooler. It's like when Bridget Hustlewaite created a shameless playlist. Yes. And I and she, it's still going, by the way, and still being updated. And I still put that one on when I have friends over. So it makes it look like I have far better music taste than I do. And the dinner one's the same. It makes you feel far more cultured and, and far better at music than you are. Question. Yes. Did you recognise a single artist on the playlist? No. Oh, I think there was like older artists, you know, very famous Like ones. 80s? Like Louis Armstrong. <laughs> because Zoe Foster Blake's music taste is so highbrow compared to mine. Every time I love all of her playlists and it's a great way to discover music that I haven't listened to before. But she is like the highest of highbrow for music content. Yeah, I struggled with her running playlist because <laughs> I need the most basic type of running. Like I need Justin Bieber. I can't have cool music to run to. I need to like sing along to the lyrics. So <laughs> I can't personally recommend the running playlist because there wasn't enough on it that I knew. But the dinner playlist, absolutely. Love it so much. Zara, we are, of course, heading to the Shameless Hotline, the final week of your anonymous defamatory celebrity stories. We have two bangers today. We do, and we promise next year if we keep doing celeb run-ins, we'll probably start naming them so long as they're not defamatory. So this is the last week of beeped out defamatory ones, and let me tell you, they're pretty fucking defamatory. (laughs) We're starting today with someone who sent this in anonymously about a high-profile Australian female broadcaster. Hi girls. So I used to work in in the payroll department. What would happen is that would go shopping at Louis and Gucci and Prada and Chanel and all of these other fabulous designers and put it all on the company credit card and then charge it through for her expenses so that we were paying like 20 grand handbag shopping sprees. Then she would completely ignore the due dates of when everything was due, submitted in the morning, and then refused to go on air until we created our very own pay cycle just for her because she needed it paid that day and was sitting in the studio refusing to go on air. Thank you for listening. I've been holding on to that for years. Bye. (laughs) What do we think, Mish? I think it's kind of iconic. Like I think I th- it's incredible. I mean, it's a bit of a scenario where it's like, who actually loses out here? And the people that lose out are the owners or the board members of a massive media company in Australia. Do I really care that they're having $20,000 a month put on their credit card at Louis Vuitton and Gucci? Not really. I'm kind of happy that this female broadcaster is like, fuck it, I'm going to wear the best wardrobe and I'm going to own it. Yeah. I mean, I'm all about it. I wish I could do the same on the shameless card. I think it might just send us a bit broke. I also love refusing to go on air. Just be like, no, I'm not going on until you get me my Chanel and you pay me my money. Just love it. I'll start pulling that with you in a second. (laughs) My second celeb run-in, my last one for 2020 is probably the most fucked one we've been sent. Hey, guys. Love this segment. It makes me laugh every time I listen to it. Although it wasn't me, I just had to let you and the listeners know about this story. It was actually my auntie's friend. I know a bit of a stretch, but just wait to hear it. My auntie's from the UK and her friend was out one night. They were drinking a lot at a club, went to the bathroom to sort of pull herself together. However, she was met in the bathroom by a guest. It was she was trying not to freak out and they started chatting. Anyway, he asked her to pee in his hand and she was like god this is a bit weird but sort of laughing at the same time because she was drunk being like I wonder what's going to happen so she went 
started peeing in his hand. After it was done, she was just sort of looked up at him. He puts his hand to his his mouth and licks the pee off his hand and then leaves the bathroom. I'm sorry, but this is just on a whole other level. I had to let you guys know. So when I say, <laughs> when I say high profile British actor and you think high profile British actor, to be totally honest with you, it's probably the it's one. Gonna you, be, it's going to be them. It's Bit probably of a bad the boy. one you're thinking of. Bad boy actor. Well, clearly a bit bad boy. (laughs) What good boy British actor is doing this? Also, may a quick shout out to Olivia. It should absolutely be banned to be calling in with your auntie's friend story. I also would think that maybe 20% of this is true and 80% is not, but I felt I couldn't listen to this in our hotline and not put it on air. I need to clarify something. When she says he licked it, was it like licking a puddle in the hands or was it licking the sheen off the hands. I'm not Do you sure why what I'm this needed about? to be clarified. I just think it's like if you're holding a puddle nah. of wee and he's drinking like a dog. This <laughs> <laughs> so, But if you have a flat palm and he's licking the sheen, that's not as bad. Well, I, I mean, this is for the listeners to decide now. We are putting all of these. Which one are you taking through, by the way, to the grand final? Uh, look, I've got to take Olivia's story about the wee liquor. I think it's better. Also, the first story was from Anonymous. And I need names because we need to figure out who we're giving this $500 voucher to. Well, Olivia is also telling the story of her auntie's friend, which also <laughs> probably should disqualify her. But I make the rules on the fly, so I don't <laughs> care. So we've got four stories going into our grand final. People are voting on Instagram via polls. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it can be right. We haven't really established okay. the rules of this. But yes. Tonight, Monday night, I think we'll have the semi-finals on our Instagram stories. We'll pit pools of two against each other. Oh, yeah. And then whoever wins each respective poll, they will battle it off in a battle to the death in the final poll on Tuesday night. So like the Australian Open? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Everyone pictured this like an Australian Open. We've done the shortlisting for you. We began with eight. We're down to four. It's your job now to get from four to one over the next two days. Nice work. (laughs) What a job we have. Speaking of our job, should we actually do some actual work and get into today's first segment? We absolutely are. And we are starting today, Mish, with Florence Given and the slum flower because it does seem to be the story all over the internet and all over Instagram. Absolutely. So as you said, there are two main players in this story. They are both feminist authors. Now, the first name, Florence Given, might be familiar to our audience. Number one, because she's been everywhere, all over social media, all over the news cycle in 2020. The second reason is she's also been on Shameless in Conversation. The second person involved in this story is Chidera Egaru. She is known most commonly online as the Slumflower. Florence Given is 21. Chidera is 26. They both have published books with a very similar vibe and feel. Both women have built personal brands and built audiences off the back of the dump him, you're fine being single, you are an empowered woman who doesn't need a man rhetoric. I know that might be very surfacy and very simplistic, but I also think that is why these two women have been so potent online in that they are very clear about what their message is and that message is ditch your shitty boyfriend invest time into yourself so these books are kind of the hybrid between coffee table books and empowering feminist literature it's combining really colourful illustrations and graphic design with very short, snappy, powerful essays on feminism. Now, I'm really glad that we're coming to this story now and not earlier in the week because it gave us time to do enough reading and enough research to be across the very important layers of this story. I actually did read both Chidera's first book, which is called What a Time to Be Alone, that was published in 2018. I also, of course, have read Florence Given's book, Women Don't Owe You Pretty, which was published in June 2020. Now, it's the similarities between these two books, Zara, that has started a fire. Yeah, they really have. And I think what the other layer here as well that we probably should acknowledge at the start is Chidera did initially give a testimonial for the front of Florence's book before she'd actually read the book. Mm -hmm. And that book had initially gone to print with Chidera's words on the front before. I think it was almost in the first week of publishing that Chidera went to Florence and said, can you please pull this testimonial? Because I do think that you have copied what I've been doing for a very long time. So although this story has come out publicly now, this has been simmering behind the scenes for what seems like 
years. Yeah, well, these two women have been working alongside each other for years, which is really interesting. Both Florence and Chidera were represented by the same management agency. They have been on panels together. As you said, one gave a testimonial to the other's book. They have very, very much been packaged and sold to the public in quite a similar way. And that way is like a great entry point to feminism, a great way for 20-somethings to be interested in books and to be interested in illustrations. Where this gets interesting is this book debacle is not the first time Chidera has felt like Florence is encroaching on her territory. Back earlier this year, Chidera has now revealed that she expressed to Florence that she felt her merchandise was actually copying some of Chidera's slogans and some of her sayings. And Florence pulled those jumpers or pulled that merchandise down from her website when that was expressed. So when people kind of talk about this as Florence given plagiarised Chidera Egaru's book, it's not that. There actually isn't plagiarism going on. As someone who has read both books, it's not a plagiarism problem. We're not talking about one text to the other. We're talking about one white woman potentially taking too much inspiration from a black woman and kind of whitewashing that message and then profiting off it. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that we need to acknowledge from the start. It would be very easy to put both books side by side and say, well, I don't see an issue here because mm. both books seem to be different. They both seem to have their sort of individual bents on what feminism means to them and the message that they want to give their followers but it is not that simple because I think this goes on for so much longer than the books the conversation started because Twitter users started to point out general similarities between Florence and Chidera's styles Mm. be it the illustrations be it the message and that has how it is snowballed from here yeah and Florence Given has admitted this herself which makes this story so interesting on the opening page of Florence Given's book Women Don't Owe You Pretty she points to four women who inspired her to write a book on the concept of prettiness. Chidera was one of those four women. She is listed as one of the key inspirations behind the book in the acknowledgements. Florence Given has said that without women like Chidera's work, the book would have never existed, which brings this into such an interesting space because while Florence hasn't plagiarised, she has potentially copied. And I really found a tweet from a black writer called Moya Lothian McLean interesting. She wrote on Twitter this week, it's not the Slumflowers content that Florence Given has copied because those are ideas that have been around for generations. Instead, Florence has modelled her persona and aesthetic on the slum flower, as have the team I presume behind her. I do think Florence Given has ripped off the slum flower's work, but it's the slum flower as a concept, not a specific book. I think that kind of nails it because I think one thing I'm seeing a lot around about this story online this week is that people generally need help getting their head around it, like getting their head around what's happened, where the plagiarism accusations are coming from. And I think that tweet nails it in a sense of like, it is so much bigger than just a couple of books we're talking about. Mm. I think one of the key issues here and that I think a lot of people are beginning to acknowledge is one of the things that Florence has done in the last few months is attribute her brand of feminism to, I guess, what she's calling the floss effect, be Mm. it people dumping their boyfriends or people getting a certain haircut or starting to date women or realising that they're bisexual. And what that does, Mish, is it gives people the impression that she considers herself a kind of founding mother of this kind of feminism and this rhetoric when we know through Floss's own words and through the acknowledgement pages of her book that she is not the founder of this. These are ideas that have existed for centuries. These are just being repackaged in a way to help young women understand the concept of feminism. So to turn around and then say, okay, well, this is all the Floss effect now kind of puts yourself at the centre of a movement that you've always acknowledged was not yours. Yeah, I think it's also important when we look at the timeline. Jadera Egaru only decided to come out and speak about this publicly now when the floss effect started becoming part of the social and cultural lexicon. Yeah, and it also harks back to the the issues in the publishing industry, like the fact that a white author like Florence Given is going to be marketed and publicised to a much bigger degree than a black woman with mm. the same ideas. Like mm-hmm. I think that's a fact that should be acknowledged. I think one of the other very complicating factors here, Mish, is that as you said at the start there, Florence and Shadera were repped by the same management agency for a while. On October 17, Chidera has said that she put in her notice. She needed to give three months notice to the management agency. She was severing ties there saying she only wanted to leave. What happened when this story was made public though is that Diving Bell Group, the group that represented both of them, cut ties immediately and said, 
how about we end this contract right now rather than wait out your notice period? She did post the email from the management group on her Instagram story. And I have to say at face value, it's a very cold email Mm. for someone that's in the middle of a public storm and someone who was managed by these very people. It's remarkable that nobody asked how she was or how she was getting on or what the strain of this entire public story is looking like. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Zara, I apologise for bringing another layer of complexity to this. but there are so many. Which other layer are you bringing in? So, Janera has also herself been accused of plagiarism. So not copying Florence, but copying black and Asian women from the sex work industry and plagiarizing their tweets word for word. Yeah, 100%. And it is an incredibly complicated story, which is why I think I keep coming back to this idea that it's not about two books side by side, or it's not about a couple of tweets side by side. It's about the system. Yeah, exactly. Like what constitutes inspiration from imitation and then copying? Like those three things are different, but they are all ambiguous. Like how do you put boundaries around those three different things and then when you add in the layers of race and financial compensation what do we actually owe those who aren't given the same opportunities that those with privilege particularly white privilege are yeah well it's all central to this fallout isn't it I mean Mm. it feels impossible to come to a clean answer especially a clean answer in a soundbite But for me at the moment, it's coming down to at the very least having a conversation with the women whose work you are basing your own work off and figuring out where the line is between inspiration and imitation before the book goes to print. And let's say that book is too similar, simply pointing to the existing work out there instead of remaking it. Like why add to the discourse perhaps if you're not adding anything new? But I think the one point that I really want to drive home in this entire conversation is back to this publishing industry. I mean, according to the New York Times in 2018, eight. 89% of books published in the US were written by white people. Mm -hmm. Like this is a much bigger conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And these stats were provided by Amplified Bookstore, by the way, guys, which you should absolutely follow on Instagram. They're incredible business doing great stuff in the industry to address this exact problem. It goes beyond that. Apparently in the US, book editors are 85% white. Jadera also pointed out that when you typed her name and her book into Google, the first book to appear was Florence Given's book. Even the people going to seek out her content were pushed a white woman's book in her place. And I think we need to deconstruct the whole system. We need to look at the editors. We need to look at the publishers. We need to look at the marketers. We need to look at the internet algorithms that prioritize and platform white people ahead of black people and ahead of marginalized people. Yeah. And it's no fucking surprise with all of that in mind that someone like Chidera would be really pissed off and really, really tired. Mm. Like I can't imagine how tiring it must be to have a system that is actively working against you. She's also said that she doesn't think Florence is a bad person. She doesn't want people to attack her. She just wants to expose what is going on and have someone be held accountable for a system that has elevated other people at her expense. Coming up after the break, Harry and Meghan's new podcast, Cody Simpson might be heading to the Olympics and the big lessons we're taking out of 2020. But first a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle for the last time in 2020. My beloved Zara, what have you got for me? For the last time in 2020. I love all these like fucking meaningless lasts that happen at the end of every year. The last. It's like it's the last Tuesday afternoon of 2020, everyone. Hold on to it tight. My first story, exclusive. Kim Kardashian and Kanye West remain focused on their kids as they spend a lot of time apart. That is from E! News. A very peculiar story coming out of E! this week, Mish, written in a very interesting tone. Yeah. Now, we've said this on the podcast before, but just a reminder, whenever the E! News network writes about the Kardashians, you should always approach it with a raised eyebrow. Obviously, the Kardashians were paired up with E!, were doing television with E!, and, I don't know, holding up the whole business of E! for over a decade. So when E! News writes about the Kardashians, you can almost guarantee it's coming from an insider or someone in the family. The timeline here of this story is interesting. So a few days ago, People magazine wrote a report that Kim Kardashian and Kanye West were, and I quote, leading very much separate lives. Now, it wasn't a very glowing article. It basically said they don't spend any time together and they really don't have much of a marriage left. And yet it was followed by what I would call a desperately glowy 
a news article. This kind of read like a puff piece. So some of the quotes that I want to read from this story to really get across the point of the fact that it was very much on the side of Kim and Kanye was, although the pair hit a rough patch earlier this summer, the two have since shown their relationship is evolving in a way that suits their individual (laughs) lifestyles. Explaining Kim and Kanye are doing their own thing. They spend a lot of time apart. Kim is doing her thing and Kanye is doing his. She doesn't micromanage it or worry about it too much. She lets him go off and be who he is. It is what it is. They are still a family and they come together for the kids. How's that? I feel a bit gaslighted <laughs> by that line. She doesn't micromanage. Like they live individual lives. So if you don't let your boyfriend go run wild or your partner run wild, then you're a micromanager. Well, I mean, they live across the country from each other, don't they? They don't live in the same state. Do they? No, they live in completely different states, I'm pretty sure. Even the opening of this article, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West have always marched to the beat of their own drum. Throughout the course of their six-year marriage, the couple's relationship has been anything but conventional. Take one look at the one-of-a-kind gifts the 43-year-old rapper has been giving the Keeping Up with the Kardashian star, and you'll know they are on a different level. So he buys her like Maseratis or whatever the (laughs) fuck he buys her, and therefore we don't understand anything going on in their relationship. I mean, it should be noted, it is very obvious that Kanye West has had a tough year. We've spoken about that on the podcast. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be a surprised that Kim and Kanye are kind of living very separate lives. I don't find that concept funny at all. I mean, they do whatever they do. I just find the communication around it hilarious. Oh, it's the spinning of they march the beat of their own drum. They're not micromanagers. They're on a different level. You just won't understand. (laughs) You don't understand them. So don't even try. (laughs) My second story. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle hosted podcast is coming to Spotify this month. That is from Vanity Fair. We did it first, Meghan and Harry. What, a podcast? (laughs) Yeah, us and basically every other person with a microphone and a kitchen table. Literally every human under the sun will have a podcast by the year 2030. It's becoming like the new WordPress blog. Just fucking everyone has one. What, you got a problem with that? I mean, no, I also had a a WordPress blog when it like wasn't even remotely cool. But it's interesting, right? I mean... I would love to know how much Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will be raking in every year. I know royals are rich, but I honestly don't think their royal salaries would have anything on what their current salaries are if they've got a Spotify exclusive deal plus a Netflix exclusive deal. Yeah, they're doing pretty well, aren't they? So essentially what has happened is if the former senior royals announced on Tuesday that their newly formed audio first production company, Archwell Audio, which I think is the same name as their foundation as well, Archwell Foundation. Really? There you go. Right, you just looked at me. I was looking at you for the answer and then you're like, I don't know. I look at Archwell and I just hear Master Archie. Master Archie. <laughs> anyway, they've signed a multi-year partnership with the platform. They will be hosting podcasts, Mish. So the idea is that apparently they'll release a holiday special that will feature stories of hope, compassion and inspirational guests in celebration of the new year. That'll be nice. How many swear words would be included on any of those podcasts? Zero. It'll still be pretty tame. I feel like they'll be the tamest. I I love, don't get me wrong, everyone knows I love Meghan and Harry. However, do I love the content that they'd be able to put out as people who are connected to the royal family? I don't know how much they can say. Like, will there actually be any grittiness to the stories they can tell? I I genuinely don't know. I hope there is. I hope it's a really interesting podcast. But sometimes I wonder with these two, will it all be a bit surfacey because of their profiles being so bloody huge? Well, I don't think they're going to give much, but that's not to say they can't interview people who will give mm. stuff. Do you know what I mean? And, and just by virtue of them hosting it, they could get a whole heap of eyeballs and ears to a story that may not otherwise be told. So. True. Watch this space, I guess. I've never actually known what that saying means, but I'll just say it. (laughs) Listen to this space. Listen to this space. My third story. Cameron Diaz remembers running in heels through the snow for the holiday. That is from Vulture. I rewatched the holiday about a week ago, Mish, because what else do you do in December? Am I right in thinking the holiday is your favourite Christmas film? I remember yeah. you vehemently defending it on a podcast once. I th- did I? I, I mean, think I so. vehemently defend a lot of things that I find <laughs> myself far less passionate about a month later. Anyway, a really quick spoiler alert because I feel like that's a nice thing to do. Even though the holiday was released about a thousand years ago, if you have haven't seen it and you don't want to hear the ending, skip forward to about, I don't know, 34 minutes and I reckon you might be fine. Those who have watched The Holiday will remember that very famous scene where Cameron Diaz is in the taxi driving away from that tiny little British cottage and she's like, 
a mile away on the way to the airport and she says to the driver, stop the car. And then instead of him turning around the car, she just runs back to the British cottage in her high heels to tell Jude Law that she loves him. In the snow. In the snow. She did an interview this week that, to be honest, sounded more interesting when I was reading it than it is now that I've got it in front of me. But apparently it took them two weeks to film that one scene of running. She said she was running about seven miles a day in heels just to film that scene. That has to be an embellishment. Surely not. It's true. And also Cameron Diaz did point to the floor and that I just pointed to in the storyline where she (laughs) says, and she gets out of the car and she runs back down to the cottage. But director Nancy Miles had her already half a mile away. It was not like she got to the edge of the driveway and decided she needed to go back. She was halfway to the freaking airport. She's almost (laughs) to Heathrow and she's like, stop the car. And for some reason ran back. I was like, okay, cool, great. Literally no idea, (laughs) which I thought was kind of good. Like at the very least acknowledge the utterly ridiculous storyline that it was. If you are wondering what we're talking about when we're saying the bullshit storyline or the bullshit timeline of this movie, please Google it. There are so many articles around pointing out every flaw in the holiday. And as much as we love the holiday, it is possibly the most deeply flawed movie to ever exist. Yeah, it's a bit like they talk about Christmas being in two weeks and then like actively acknowledge that only two days has passed and then they're like suddenly celebrating Christmas like none of it makes sense but still a wonderful movie my fourth story Cody Simpson surprises fans by qualifying for Australian Olympic swimming trials that is from Perth now and this came out of nowhere this is why clickbait sucks right because I'd seen this headline around where it was like Cody Simpson might be heading to the Olympics and I scrolled past yeah fair so many a headline being like well that's bullshit they're just trying to suck me in it was like a boy who cried wolf I was like you're not gonna get me with this one newspapers (laughs) Ooh, try to catch me (laughs) like I'm not fucking falling for it and yet I finally clicked into one to be like okay everyone's running with it I'm pretty sure I saw the ABC or something do something about it I was like all right you've got me what and it's a hundred percent legit so Cody Simpson as in Cody Simpson who used to date Miley Cyrus who was all over TikTok earlier this year who was one of the guys on the Masked Singer Yeah, he's also been on US Dancing with the Stars. He's a singer. We know him as a singer. We know him as Australia's potentially mediocre version (laughs) of Justin Bieber. We hyped him up to be Australia's Justin Bieber and it ended up being a little bit lacklustre, but onwards. But he could end up being Australia's new Ian Thorpe. This is what he posted on Instagram. I just qualified for my first Olympic trials. I'd love to share this personal milestone and let you in on my current journey as an athlete that I've kept relatively low key until now. Yeah, no shit. None of us knew. (laughs) Growing up competing and then inevitably having to cut my career short as 13-year-old Australian champion when I was given an opportunity in music that I couldn't refuse. Can I read my favourite line yes. and keep going? Because this is the biggest bull... Sorry to be harsh, but this is the biggest fucking humble brag of a caption I've ever read. <laughs> I have had the chance to experience and learn so much as a musician from touring around the world, releasing albums, performing as a leading man on Broadway, <laughs> publishing a work of poetry, travelling with and speaking at the United Nations on environmental and oceanic matters and much more. For this, I will be forever grateful. So therefore, here's my resume. Now, if I may add something else to my resume... Olympic swimmer. <laughs> almost. 10 years later, here I am once more. For years, I had been fueled by the silent fire in my stomach of returning to the sport of swimming. After only five months back into the water, oh, the la- no. year 12 should do a language analysis. Only five months, guys. On this caption, I have qualified for the Australian Olympic trials in the 100 fly. Now, this is, I'm sorry, I know I've said a lot of these lines are my favourite lines, but this is without <laughs> a doubt my favourite line. It is my greatest ambition to expand the limit and perceived <gasps> no. notion of what's possible for someone to achieve in a single lifetime. <laughs> May I read that out again? <laughs> It is my greatest ambition to expand the limit and perceived notion of what's perceived for someone to achieve in a single lifetime. Does he think he's the most achieving person in the world? What the fuck? That ego, that ego is like preposterously big. I understand he's achieved a a decent amount. To say that is your ambition to expand the limit of what? The human condition? Yes. How (laughs) fucking big is your ego? My favourite headline from all of this was the cut who just wrote, look at this talented boy, exclamation mark. (laughs) A bit of a Jesus complex coming out, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) And my fifth and final story, the 50... (laughs) 
I actually didn't even mean to sing that. The 50 best Christmas songs of all time ranked. That is from Elle magazine. i got to say, Michelle, you wanted this one in and it's basically just a random journalist throwing a random collection of songs together in an order that's going to generate outrage so that you and I talk about it on a podcast. As someone who was just on her high horse saying clickbait would never get me, this clickbait got me hook, line and sinker within the space of about 10 seconds. Yes, I clicked. Yes, I was immediately enraged. This ranking of the 50 best Christmas songs was a bit whatever, like it was fine, until I scrolled to number 43 and saw Jay Bieber Mistletoe listed at 43 out of 50. Justin Bieber Mistletoe belongs at number one, two or three and I will not hear otherwise. No, a bit ridiculous to try and get Mistletoe to claim number one. Mariah will forever take that. It does not matter how many ridiculous things Mariah does over the course of her life. She will always maintain that top spot. But he should probably be in spot two. Like I do think he has one of the most underrated Christmas anthems in the world. Spot two did go to Last Christmas by Wham. It is a good song. Like... Annabelle, please give us a little bit of a snippet to get us in the mood. Last Christmas I gave you my heart But the very next day you gave it away Great song, love it, deserves number two. However, number three went to Fairy Tale of New York by... It's either the Pogues or the Pogwas. I don't know what it is. Or Nigella would say the Pujays. <laughs> <laughs> it went to Fairytale of New York by the Pujays. What the fuck is that? I've not heard this song ever. Annabelle, play it for us. When you first took my hand on a cold Christmas Eve You promised me Broadway was waiting for me You were handsome You were pretty queen of New York City When, when the, the band, band finished playing they held up for more I literally never heard this song in my life. What the fuck is that? How is that better than Justin Bieber Mistletoe? Yeah, I would like to know if Justin Bieber Mistletoe, I mean, I would say call the hotline, but fuck, I'm on holidays <laughs> in half weeks. Maybe just comment on our Instagram post. Is Justin Bieber's Mistletoe one of the unsung heroes of Christmas? Because I would argue it is. It was robbed. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It was robbed. Happy for Ariana Grande, but this list sucks and I hate it. Merry Christmas, everybody from the big <laughs> Grinch. And Santa Claus. I'm Santa. That's the Grinch. That's all I've got for you. Don't talk to me about fucking Dr. Zeus now. I can't. I forgot about that. I don't care if the gondola is closed. I want a fucking gondola ride. Zara, given it's the last Monday episode of the year, we thought it's time to look back at the utterly bizarre year that was and do a little bit of reflection. It's without doubt that no matter who you are or what your background is, the last 12 months have been some of the most unique and challenging of your life. So as unpredictable and sometimes terrifying as 2020 was, what can we actually take away from it? Zara, we'll do both silly and serious in this segment. Could you start me off with something silly? What's something silly you've learned in 2020? Oh, I wasn't quite prepped for that. What is something (laughs) silly that I've learned in Christmas that I probably will never have indoor plants in my house because I can't keep them alive? But that is a very individualistic one and I just thought of it off the top of my head. I actually think that's quite specific to 2020 though because we had all the time in the world to like nurture our indoor plants and even then I had to throw two of my indoor plants in the bin. Did you throw them out? Last week because I was like, these are just dead. It was the one year I had all the time in the world to take care of them and I still didn't. I just look at it and be like, oh, fuck, it's going all brown. And so I just like dump it in water, which I know is absolutely not the thing you meant to do. And then just like forget about it for another week. (laughs) This one next to us looks a little bit sad. Oh, they're all a bit sad. (laughs) But I do feel like... All jokes aside, I think this is a really nice way to wrap our last Monday episode for the year because it it feels like we're kind of coming full circle in a way. Like when coronavirus began in March, I remember we were sitting in the office when we used to go to work (laughs) and we were talking about how we were going to cover coronavirus and what we were going to do about it. And I know that we wanted to start by talking about joy. The first time we ever mentioned COVID on the podcast was in the context of joy. Like where do you find joy when everything around you feels like it's in a bit of disarray and there's a lot of unrest, a lot of confusion and namely a lot of fear because people didn't know what to expect and I think it's really lovely to come back to this because I think it hasn't really changed much to be honest my my perception of joy where I find joy because all this year has reminded me that joy is always there you kind of just have to make a conscious decision to find it I know that's a very earnest point but I think this year has taught me that you actually need to make conscious efforts to seek out joy otherwise it won't come mm, and I've got to admit I found that so hard this 
this year because as lockdown went on, and obviously we're based in Melbourne, Melbourne with an E, not an A. <laughs> Melbourne. Melbourne. I realised that my joy genuinely comes from spending time with other people. And I am so extroverted in every sense of the word that I soak up energy from the people around me. And I found it so difficult to be locked away in my apartment with my partner, of course, which I was lucky to have, like so happy we had that time together but it's very very hard when you find joy in company and company's impossible in the middle of a pandemic where people's lives are at risk. Yeah I find that so true and I think it's interesting because I've always kind of joked over the last three years that I feel like I'm becoming more of an introvert as I get older but this year did kind of remind me that I probably am at my core an extrovert that Mm. I do recharge around other people may not be huge groups of people but people nonetheless I also wonder if a lot of young women listening to this will relate to the idea of like I've always been a massive forward planner and someone who lives a lot in the future and I think that it might be a uniquely female tribute because I do think as women we do forward plan a lot when it comes to our lives Mm. I mean it sounds ridiculous to pull it all back to fertility but I do think that there's something to say about how you're always looking forward and trying to work out what your trajectory looks like with all of the things you want to do in mind. And Mm. I found it really interesting this year, not having any ability to really plan anything and know that even if you do plan something, there is no expectation or promise that that's going to go through. You absolutely have to stay in the moment. That lack of control is being a huge thing that I've had to kind of get my head around and I feel like you might be similar that complete lack of control that you almost have to surrender to having no control and focus right on the moment in time yeah and I mean I think that lack of control is perhaps what spiraled so many people when it comes to mental illness right like this year yes was awful for so many people's mental health I really truly do hope though that it put more of a focus and a higher level of importance and maybe a greater conversation around mental illness and mental health and how important it is to people's overall well-being we saw so many conservatives come out particularly in Melbourne and say we need to focus more on mental health and I truly hope that that rhetoric Mm. remains the same even now that we are out of lockdown so I agree I think control is so difficult for so many people when it's stripped away from you some people do try and find control in other areas I mean I even read reports about people with eating disorders trying to find control through what they were eating people with anxiety trying to find control poor people suffering with OCD disorder as well like there was so much going on in people's minds when they were locked in their homes I think on the same thread 2020 also taught me a lot about how differently fear manifests in people in that in some people fear grows into a state of denial a state of seeking out conspiracy theories a state of incredible cynical doubt in establishments in governments in other people and then in others that fear becomes anxiety or that fear becomes anger at establishments and other people or people doing the wrong thing at the supermarket or people flouting restrictions. And then in others, fear becomes withdrawal and silence and just this eerie stillness where they can't engage with anything. They need to withdraw and they need to kind of bunker down and get through. And I think in the middle of 2020, we saw all those varying reactions and people saw those around them respond in such different ways. And I would hope after 2020, I'm more compassionate when people do not respond to fear in the same way that I do. Yeah, that's a really interesting one because I was going to ask you, do you think that's going to last? Like, do you think there's a level of empathy that comes with when something else maybe goes down that we try very hard to understand why people react in the way that they do? I mean, my answer is I hope, but I don't know. I also unfortunately think we have very short memories, to Mm -hmm. be honest. Mm -hmm. I think one other thing that's been really interesting for me this year is I realised how much I value two things that I didn't realise I valued before, which was food and music. And it sounds Mm. really silly, but I've never been more grateful than this year for access to food and good food because I feel like cooking and eating has like punctuated my weekends. I feel like it's also given me a point of difference to look back on the weekends. I think when you spend this many months in lockdown, it's all a bit of a blur. Mm. And the way that I'm able to kind of distinguish time is with what I ate. And I've never really appreciated that so much until now. Like food is an experience. Like the the main reason I was able to get through my days in a great mood is because I would be like, well, what am I having for dinner tonight? Mm. And the process of cooking and prepping and eating and enjoying that has been really lovely. And I said music as well. Like I've never really been into music. I made that joke at the start of the show. But I've really lent on music this year to fill the silence. And I think arts generally, like the arts generally, 
plays such a crucial role in our sanity. Like there's something about art that I think we consistently sell short. I mean, we know that the government consistently sells the arts short because they almost refuse, flatly refuse to offer economic support for many of the people in our arts industry. But I think I've filled my walls with bright art to sort of feel like there's life in my home. I've gravitated to really light, funny pieces of content that has kept my sanity afloat. And I just think it's so interesting that maybe at a surface level perception of the arts is something that's very frivolous that doesn't matter Mm. and like I said the government sort of pushed that narrative themselves but the arts are I think the thing that keeps people the most sane. Yeah the arts carried so many of us through when we were depressed and we were feeling anxious and we were feeling fearful and we couldn't spend time with our friends and our family it was art that we all turned to whether that's Tiger King on Netflix or a piece of art that you want to put on your wall like it's all good and it's all incredibly incredibly helpful when you're in a pit of despair like I think art but also anyone who works in healthcare anyone who's an essential worker like it really truly did reframe what essential work means and I think it also hopefully gave a lot more people a lot of appreciation for the industries and the jobs that potentially they didn't even give much thought to. People working in the aged care centre are the heroes of 2020 to me. Of course, anyone working in the healthcare sector at all, whether that's cleaning a hospital or being a nurse or being a doctor, all absolutely incredible. But people working in aged care who had to front up every day with potentially the highest risk environment across the country and care for the elderly, the one demographic of people who was the hardest hit by this pandemic, like, Anyone who works in aged care is just incredible and I cannot imagine the physical, emotional, spiritual toll that would have taken to show up to work every single day. I'm also grateful for my body. I think I learned a lot and I read a lot during the pandemic from people who live with disability that the isolation and the loneliness that we feel and we felt in lockdown is an isolation and a loneliness they feel just by living every single day. They feel like there's a barrier between the people outside their homes and their experience within their own body. And I can't imagine how that would feel and how exhausting that would be. We went through it for a few months. They go through that for a lifetime. Yeah, I know. And I think that in particular, I hope we don't stop talking Mm. about. I know I said before, we have a very short memory when it comes to sort of understanding why people lean politically one way or another. But I don't think we will have a short memory when it comes to remembering how we might have felt in those moments during lockdown and how people feel like that every single day, day in, day out. And I don't think we're going to stop talking about it on this podcast. So I hope that genuinely people don't stop talking about it into 2021. I think the most important one is maybe an obvious one for a lot of people, but it's also, it's taught me a lot that I, that work is not everything. I think Mm. I said a few times on this podcast this year that it's been hard. I think from a personal standpoint, and I think a lot of people will find this is when If you were lucky enough to keep your job through this period and you're not doing anything else but working, it's pretty hard to separate yourself from your job, Mm. which was a privilege in and of itself, but it was something that I had to sort of get my head around. What do you do when you have a bad day at work if you've got nothing else going on? And it did remind me that there is far more to life than work when you're able to do those things, be it go out for drinks or have dinner or see your family for dinner or see your friends for brunch, whatever you want to do. And I think you and I, Mish, have been sitting around these last couple of weeks thinking a lot about how we structure our work weeks and how we structure our work days and to be totally frank with you like I've worked every weekend since I started working Mm. like I've never had a weekend off our minds are never idle on the weekend because we released this podcast on a Monday and I think I said to you a couple of weeks ago I don't know if I can do that anymore yeah and we came to the resolution that we aren't going to do it anymore. We aren't going to keep giving every weekend we have over to work. I mean, for context, if you're new to the podcast, we have now been doing Shameless for three years. We have always released an episode on a Monday morning. And to make sure that content is up to date and current, we have been working every Saturday and every Sunday. And as much as we have loved doing that and as much as we love sharing our Monday mornings with you guys as you drive into work or drive home from work or sit at your desk, it's not sustainable it's not it's not sustainable for two women in their 20s to give over every weekend for years and we did it for years before we did shameless we did work in digital media and we both worked weekends again so we will get our weekends for the first time ever and the way we're going to do that is our in conversation episodes are going to be moved to monday where we can pre-prep pre-record pre-schedule and then we will be coming to you every thursday morning with a wrap in the week that was in pop culture so that we can actually have a monday to friday 
Friday working week for the first time in our careers. Yeah, and I know that a lot of people might be listening to that a little bit disappointed because it was the thought of thing that punctuated their Monday mornings. And like we said, rest assured, there'll always be a Monday episode. It will just be the end conversation. But I just don't think we can stress enough how much this would probably have burnt us out in the next six months Mm. if we didn't make this change. And we want to be doing this podcast for a long time, Michelle, and we need to put something in place where on the weekends we didn't think about work. That when we were out for brunch with our families or out for drinks with our friends, that is where we were and that is where we were present. So this is going to kind of make that balance a little bit easier and I've got to say I'm really excited for it. Yeah, and we hope you guys are understanding. As Zara said, like we know it might be a shock or an initial disappointment, but please trust us when we say we think this is the best thing for the podcast. It's the best thing for us as individuals. We'll be coming to every recording feeling so excited and so energised because it will actually be the work week. Zara, can I please share a couple of silly learnings from 2020 before (laughs) I launch it? I mean, sure. I bet one of them is Taylor Swift related. Yes. Okay, that is my first one. I learned that Taylor Swift is superhuman. She released two albums in the pandemic and that is crazy and wild and good on her. I cannot compare, but yes, bravo to Taylor Swift. Clap, clap. My second one is I will never again complain about overpriced cocktails at a bar. It is a privilege to be able to go to a bar and drink an extraordinarily expensive cocktail with a friend and just enjoy it and hear the sound of people enjoying themselves around you. Like that is incredible and amazing. I'll never complain again. Dogs are everything. Dogs are amazing. They are the best companions in the world. I already knew that before 2020, but getting Benji has been the best, happiest reminder of it. My last silly learning in 2020, Ethiopia has a 13-month-long calendar year and is the only country in the world where it isn't 2020. In Ethiopia, it is currently 2013. I didn't know that, but you told me that earlier this year and my mind was a bit blown and I kind of love it. <laughs> like, why, it we all, why doesn't everybody just like pick their own time? Why do Fuck we all, yeah. we all have our own language, we all have our own cuisines, we all have our own everything. Why not pick your own time too? I love that Ethiopia was like, nah, fuck that. It's 2013 here. Like we're not feeling 2020. It's absolutely 2013. What a way to finish. Hey guys, we will still be back in your ears on Thursday. Don't you worry about that. We actually want to hear from you guys though. For our last In Conversation episode of the year, it is going to be with you all. So what we want is we want you to call in our hotline at shamelessthepodcast.com and tell us what you've learned about this year, whether it be about social media, what your favourite story of the year is. Mm -hmm. If you have a question about behind the scenes this year of how this show actually function in lockdown ask away but we want to hear from you so please call our hotline and you might be featured on the show on thursday exactly so if you want our hotline head to shamelessthepodcast.com and follow the links it is very very easy to leave a hotline message you'll be featured on the show thank you so much guys thanks for a wonderful 2020 we will be back in your ears on thursday and after that I'm deleting my phone. <laughs> I'm not deleting my phone. I'm deleting everything off my phone and I'm just disappearing for nearly a month. You're going to be Serena Vanderwoodson in that scene of Gossip Girl where instead of deleting a text message, she throws her entire <laughs> phone in a bin. <laughs> to be honest, it's kind of the mood that I'm in. See ya. Merry Christmas, guys. Have a safe one. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.